It's a very dangerous thing when a married man gets distracted by another woman. Um, Wives have a, a way of sensing that something is not quite right. Well, I have to confess that for the past few weeks, I have been distracted not by one woman, but by two. Fortunately for the well-being of my marriage, both of these women lived 3,000 years ago. Yes, you've guessed it. I'm talking about Ruth and Naomi. Today we're going to be thinking about Naomi and next week about Ruth. In preparing for this series of talks on the book of Ruth, I came upon the following comment in a newly published study Bible. I'm hoping it's going to come up for you. Ruth is a love story. It's also an idol, a brief story describing a simple, pleasant aspect of rural and domestic life. Now, before fans of Mills and Boons get excited about exploring this love story, and it is an amazing love story, let me say to you that this comment about the book of Ruth being idyllic misses the mark completely. You don't have to read too far to discover that there's nothing idyllic about its picture of rural and domestic life. It opens with reference to a famine that causes Elimelech and his family to leave their hometown of Bethlehem. Indeed, there is a touch of irony in this opening remark. For Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem, means house of food. The house of food is empty and bare, and Elimelech decides to move elsewhere, about 90 miles away to the foreign country of Moab on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. This is hardly an idyllic start to the story. From famine, we move to death, three deaths in all. Firstly, Elimelech dies, leaving his wife Naomi a widow with two sons. While things look up a little, with the sons getting married, misfortune strikes Naomi again. Within a period of ten years, Mahlon and Chilion both die. Since no children have been born, all three women in the story, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, are left as childless widows. This is hardly an ideal picture of domestic life. By the third paragraph of this short story, Naomi is a widow living in a foreign country. And as a result of losing all the male members of her family, she now faces destitution. There's nothing idyllic about this. On the contrary, 
The story of Ruth is about real people facing real problems in a world that is cruel and brutal. In the light of the tragedies that befall Naomi, she decides to return to Bethlehem. Not unexpectedly, her arrival provokes a buzz of bewilderment. Can this really be Naomi? Conscious of the crowd's reaction, Naomi says to those who greet her, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Her request is very poignant. Her birth name, Naomi, means something like pleasant or my pleasant one. Mara, however, means bitter. For Naomi, life has moved from being pleasant to being bitter. For Naomi, life has turned very sour. Her hopes and dreams of a new start for herself and her family in the land of Moab have been reduced to nothing. She went away full. She has come back empty. William Blake captures something of Naomi's bitterness in one of his paintings. Just look at the pain and desperation reflected in her whole demeanor. If we are to understand something of the book of Ruth, we need to empathize with Naomi's experience. For some of us, this may be easier than others. Some of us have lost a partner. Some may even have buried a child. Some have faced or may even now be facing financial hardship. All of us need to be aware that although life may now be pleasant, very quickly it could turn bitter. Real life is like this. No one is immune. Any of us could be Naomi. As we think about Naomi's heartbreaking experience, her remarks to the people of Bethlehem ought to cause us to stop and ponder. She said to them, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, pleasant, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? These are tough words. Four times Naomi attributes her present tragic situation to God. Naomi doesn't simply ask, why has God let this happen? 
she unambiguously states that God, the Almighty, the Lord, is responsible for her present crisis. The Lord has brought her back empty. As I've reflected on these remarks over the past few weeks, they've raised all sorts of questions in my mind. How should I interpret her words? Are they true or false? Is Naomi right in saying that God is responsible for her present circumstances? Or is God merely an easy person to blame? Someone on whom she can vent her anger and frustration? Has Naomi lost her faith in God? Does this accusation come from a woman who has given up on God? From a woman whose trust in God has been destroyed by death and destitution? I've struggled with Naomi's remarks. I've tried to stand in her shoes and see things from her perspective. Given her pain and loss, how would I have acted? What would I have said? It's easy to, I think, dismiss her outburst as that of a distraught woman. It's easy to conclude that her remarks about God are the kind of thing that any of us might say in a moment of weakness. After all, God is loving and compassionate. This is not the kind of thing he does. I might have stopped at this point, but as I pondered the book of Ruth, certain things made it difficult for me to dismiss Naomi's remarks so easily. I wish I could simply have dropped them at that point. As you read the first chapter of Ruth, Naomi does not come across as a critic of God. She is no Richard Dawkins, no Christopher Hitchens. Naomi is no atheist. In spite of all the misfortune that has come upon her, she does not conclude that there is no God. Indeed, she doesn't dismiss the idea of a loving God. Observe what she said to Ruth and Orpah when she looked to part company from them. Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. Naomi's prayer for her two daughters-in-law is not that of someone who has rejected God. No atheist 
would pray like this. On the contrary, Naomi requests that God's love and peace will surround Ruth and Orpah. Naomi's prayer for her daughters-in-law strongly suggests that she still believes in God. In spite of the calamity that has struck her, she looks to God to provide for her daughters-in-law. Now, I think this observation ought to color, then, how we interpret Naomi's remarks to the people of Bethlehem. When Naomi said, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, or the Lord has brought me back empty, we need to see this as coming from a woman who speaks with sincerity, but not with malice. We need to view her words as truthful, but not vindictive. She's not denouncing God for what has happened. As I've reflected on this chapter, I've become more and more convinced that Naomi sees her personal misfortune as something sent by God as an act of judgment against her. As she says, the Lord has testified against me. She is not highlighting divine injustice and cruelty. Her comments are actually a confession of failure on her part. Now, this may seem strange to you. But you see something very similar in the third chapter of Lamentations. Listen to how the author of this acrostic poem describes God's actions. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Chilling words. There are few punches pulled in this description of God's dealing with the author. Set alongside this description of divine affliction, Naomi's remarks seem very tame. The author of Lamentations goes on to say, God is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as the target for his arrow. 
He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me car in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. It would be difficult to give a more graphic description of someone being attacked by God. It's very comforting to think of God as a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. It's quite another thing to conceive of him as a stalking bear or a ferocious lion. It's very reassuring to think of God as someone who lifts me out of the slimy pit or a miry bog. It's quite another thing to see him as someone who shoves my head into the dirt. Can we really be thinking here about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, very interestingly, having vividly described how God has attacked him, the author of Lamentations goes on to write the following. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. For the Lord will not cast off forever. And though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. With profound perception, the author of Lamentations realizes that on occasions, God may indeed afflict us severely in order to bring us to a point of repentance. As the prophet Hosea succinctly puts it, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. I suspect that Naomi is thinking along these lines. Her return to Bethlehem is an act of repentance. It is a return to the Lord. 
those who first listened to this story would have picked up on this theme of repentance. The journey of Elimelech and Naomi away from Bethlehem to Moab would probably have signaled that something was wrong spiritually. By leaving the promised land and setting up home in Moab, Elimelech and Naomi were turning their back on their spiritual heritage. God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inhabit the land of Canaan. Yet, although Elimelech and Naomi appeared to have abandoned the faith of their fathers, God does not abandon them. As the very God who instructed the Israelites not to afflict the widow and the fatherless, it cannot have been easy for him to send forth his hand against Naomi. Yet God could not sit back. He could not do nothing. He had to bring Naomi to that point where she would return to him. Sometimes, when we stray from God, it may require a personal disaster to bring us to our senses. This is not to say that all of our sufferings as Christians are a form of punishment for having forgotten God. Job suffered much, but he suffered because of his righteousness. Jesus Christ suffered greatly, but not because of any wrongdoing on his part. The Bible makes it clear that suffering may come upon us for all sorts of reasons. So please don't automatically assume that because someone is suffering, he or she obviously is being disciplined by God. It's not that simple. Nevertheless, there may be occasions when God finds it necessary to make life bitter for us. If he does, rest assured that it's done in love for our good. As the author of Lamentations notes, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. The Lord did indeed bring Naomi back to Bethlehem empty. But she was not alone. Because of Ruth, Naomi would later speak of how the Lord's unmerited steadfast love has not forsaken the living or the dead. Eventually, Naomi's bitterness would be replaced with hope when Ruth gives birth to a son. On this occasion, the woman of Bethlehem would say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, 
and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi may have lost two sons, but now she has a very special grandson and a daughter-in-law who is worth seven sons. Naomi's experience was very bitter and painful. But through it all, God's unmerited steadfast love did not forsake her. For any of us, life can turn unexpectedly sour. It may even be that God will put out his hand against us. Hopefully, Naomi's experience will give us cause to believe that even in times of darkness, God's love still surrounds us. As the author of Lamentations affirms, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're conscious that for all of us, life can very easily turn bitter. We're conscious that perhaps at times this comes from you to draw us towards you, to make us repent, to help us find the way again. Help us to be open to your voice when you speak. And help us to recall that even when you tear us, you want to heal us. And that your mercies and your steadfast love are new every morning. In Christ we pray. Amen.